Happy New Year, Dave. Yeah, Happy New Year to you too. Yeah, is it is it a good year so far? We've only had one nuclear scare. Right, right. Yeah, well, that's the cutting room floor. Um, this episode, um, to get people ready. But I'm just sad that the Steelers lost the playoffs, uh, the, the playoff game, so they're out of it for the Super Bowl. So, but on the good news, uh, my Sundays are now freed up for a while. <laughs> oh, just once the Steelers are out, you're that's it. You're I'm done. done. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't have a, you know, is that a, is that a thing where people will have like a second pick or they they go and like let another team carry them through the through the Super yeah. Bowl? Yeah, well, or either that or you know, the, I think a lot of times like my wife will watch a Super Bowl just for the commercials and stuff, mm-hmm. and um, and or there are other people that they just watch every football game and it's like I don't have that kind of time. So, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. Well, I'm sorry to hear about your Steelers. Yeah. There is, yeah, it's always next year or this year, I guess. So we'll see. So what so, are you going to do to, so, what are you going to do to occupy your time? Well, um, well we had the break and one of the things that, you know, how it is like you always want to do that, the, uh, like things you always wanted to do, uh, during, uh, while, while you're working, but you never really had the downtime to do it. Um, uh-huh. so, I updated my home router with uh, like I run, I was running open WRT, um, but there weren't any updates for it for a while. And then I realized that um, there was this fork in the project where the lead project, uh, the Linux embedded development environment, I guess they forked and then they, they did some updates. So I did an update to that and it turned out great. And then I found out that uh, the open WRT and lead projects are getting back together uh, again. Um, uh, and so uh, under the open WRT name. So um, it's pretty exciting. But the upgrade was surprisingly smooth. I was surprised. Oh, no, is it not always? Uh, I always kind of imagine them being smooth anyway. Were they, were, was that not the case? Um, well, I would I would just expect, you know, it's like anytime you're flashing, like, you know how it is with, with uh, ROMs on your Android phone to, you know, ROMs on your router and stuff, it's really easy to brick your device. Um, and so, um, knock on wood, I've, so far I've been, I've been pretty lucky, um, uh, just like going from, you know, one thing to another and it, it worked out fine. Nice. Okay. But it even, it, but it was even to the point where it kept my old settings and I didn't need to like rekey them in or, or upload them. It was like an in-place upgrade. It was beautiful. Nice. That's a treat. That's a treat. Yeah. Excellent. Yep. That's great. Uh, on my side, I, uh, well, I spent at least a portion of my holiday, uh, preoccupied with this, uh, specter and meltdown nonsense. Yeah. Course. Yeah. Um, That's a lot I, of I sleepless say, nights or. Well, no, not for me. Not for you. Um, yeah. no, cause I, I, uh, I don't do any actual work. I just, you know, supervise. Uh, and so yeah. you slept well knowing that the people were, were doing all the work. <laughs> That's right. Um, and I do want to take a second, uh, in this public forum. Uh, to thank everyone at Red Hat who contributed to that effort. It was an enormous amount of work. Um, it required us to rebuild and respin the entire Red Hat software portfolio, pretty much, um, and do so in a way that would be not disruptive to customers, or at least as, you know, least disruptive as possible. Um, managing multiple partners, because we have to like line up the releases with, you know, firmware updates and all the OEM updates. And um, 
anyway, a very kind of complicated thing to pull off organizationally. And uh, I think all things considered, I, I'm very proud of the work that we did. It was uh, um, feeling uh, feeling pretty chuffed about that. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, like a wealth of information and uh, like even like I saw it, like there was like webinars that came out after it to with our performance engineering team to talk about, you know, the uh, all the all the different ways this could play out. So it was amazing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we went we we went out of our way uh, to make sure that uh, it wasn't just like releasing a patch, putting out a K-based article and then declaring victory. Um, right. As you said, like the performance because this because fixing this problem uh, has uh, in some cases like very serious performance impacts for certain kinds of customer workloads. Um, we made sure that the performance team was uh, kind of constantly testing likely workloads. And when we get feedback from customers and the field that everything we learn about performance tuning and stuff goes back, you know, into the product and into our knowledge base and stuff like that. So um, it's, it's very much a, uh, an ongoing concern of ours um, to try and uh, get customers back to their original uh, performance goals. Um, so anyway, very hard work, um, especially when you think about the fact that it's not just releasing, um, as I said, not just respinning the entire portfolio, um, but if you think about all of the different support lifecycle options that RHEL has, um, which is like part of the value prop of RHEL, um, mm-hmm. all of all, you know, every one of those who were in support have to get fixed. Um, and so, yes. you know, dozens and dozens of variations of RHEL um, had to get uh, had to get a patch for this. Um, and when you go to stuff like, you know, you get little older versions of RHEL, um, that's non-trivial because <laughs> because <laughs> these the patches that appeared upstream are very different than the patches you need uh, to get you know uh, to fix the problem on an old kernel. So um, mm-hmm. anyway, I, I, I'm I'm very proud of the work that we've done. Um, so not not a perfect by any means um and not everybody's uh, happy about the uh, about the incident but um i think uh, i think redhead did a great job this time around for sure yeah nice nice yeah so what what else is going on well uh I, you we haven't talked about it on the show yet but um back in back in december i got myself uh, i got myself a used car which i'm enjoying mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and uh it's a tesla as it happens um i found myself a uh, used <laughs> was that a uh <laughs> every time i say tesla are you gonna hit that hit that chord <laughs> no that was sorry that was me bumping my microphone i was adjusting the volume <laughs> okay whacked it and then the, the springs in the uh, uh microphone stand made a noise but yeah i don't i don't have a uh was a sound bar here yeah, <laughs> yeah if you wanted to uh, if you wanted though, to hit a power cord every time I every time I said the word Tesla, I'm open to that. I'm open to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, anyway, the car is uh, it's an old version, and it's on the older version of the hardware that is the version mm-hmm. of the car hardware that doesn't do autonomous driving and all that fancy stuff. It's just basically it's just an electric car, and as one of the mechanics described it to me, uh, it's basically a cell phone with four wheels. Um, you know, it's got this great big 17 inch screen in the middle that, that does, you know, that manipulates all the things you need to manipulate on a car. Um, it is a total treat to drive. Um, it's, uh, super fun to never have to worry about gas again. Um, and as a matter of fact, Austin power runs a program where I can pay them 25 bucks every six months and Mm -hmm. get unlimited charging, not only at home, 
um, but also at any of the power stations around the city. Um, so that's kind of nice. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and, uh, anyway, it's, just, it's, it's just great. It's a, it's a, it's a, even if it was run on gas, it would be a nice car. Um, but it just happens to also be an electric car. Um, and all those things that people say about, you know, the torque and the acceleration and stuff like that. Um, kind of a misnomer. It's not so much that it's a fast car, although it is a fast car. It's the, how it accelerates, which is what's fun, uh, in that it accelerates. There's no, like gear shift, right? It's just, right. It's torque is immediately available and the acceleration is linear to Mm -hmm. what I guess is the top speed. Um, and so that's kind of a fun trick. You know, you get to like get your friends on a highway and then freak them out when you, uh, you know, accelerate past, you know, you're running at 45 miles an hour and then you like jump to 70 or something like that. That's fun. Um, but, uh, but it turns out to actually to be useful. Like it's actually helpful for like merging into traffic or, you know, um, difficult to navigate, um, on ramps to the highway and stuff like that. It's nice to, it's nice to be able to do that. Um, okay. But, uh, anyway, I, uh, if, if, if anybody's thinking about it, uh, or enjoying it, everything you've heard is true. It's super, it's just great. I'm delighted. I'm enjoying it way more than I thought I would. And do you have the, um, do you have the, the plan where you can go to any of the Tesla charging stations to get uh, electricity? Yes. Yes. As a matter of fact, I was, uh, just last night I was, they have a uh, trip planners online, um, where you can say like, I want to get from Austin to say Seattle in the car. Mm -hmm. And so what is the route and how long should I be charging at each station? Because it's of course not obvious that you should do a hundred percent charge every time you stop. Um, Mm -hmm. just need enough charge to get to the next station. Um, and that way you can get there quicker. Right. Uh, and so, I was just plotting that out and yeah, I'm, uh, lucky enough to be on the unlimited plan. So, um, these, uh, these supercharging stations, which can, you know, fully gas you up in an hour, whatever it is. Um, yeah, that's pretty great. Pretty great. Yeah. So, yeah. So then you can also mine cryptocurrencies with, with it. Well, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So it's a um, thing now. (laughs) That's that's a thing. That's right. And so, um, that's my, in fact, that's my financing option for the car. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, that's right. I can either pay for the loan or I can outsource, uh, the drive uh, some miners around. Yeah. Yeah. The drive some miners around and, uh, and, and, uh, have the car subsidize itself. I'm all about that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there, I'll have to put the link in the show notes, but there is a guy that actually did that where he put some, uh, Bitcoin miners and he's taking advantage of the uh, free electricity. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, Good segue, by the way, into I have a book recommendation. Um, okay. So if you listen to the David Gunner show, uh, you will enjoy. I can say with almost moral certainty, you are going to enjoy uh, a book called The Wind Up Girl. Um, this is a sci-fi novel. Takes place several couple hundred years in the future, mm-hmm. after an oil collapse, uh, and in a world after. Uh, where genetically engineered plants and whatnot um, have reached the point where uh, there are now an unrelenting wave of plagues um, that is uh, that are destroying uh, the flora and fauna of the world. And so the only way you can actually grow viable crops is by relying on the genetic engineering of the what they call the Midwest Compact or the calorie monopolies. Um, mm-hmm. So in the American Midwest. Uh, you know, so St. Louis and, and I think is where the headquarters is. 
um, they are creating seeds that will survive all of these plagues, um, but they are, of course, sterile. And so you have to come back to the same companies every year, which creates you know, this monopoly, which ends up controlling a good portion of the world, except for Thailand, where the, where the action of the book takes place. So the Kingdom of Thailand has created a, uh, um, a total cordon around the, around the country. Um, and by setting fire to their borders, they've been able to insulate themselves from most of the plagues. And uh, they have created themselves a secret seed bank um, on which they are doing their own genetic work and beginning to create or recreate um, plant, you know, plants and vegetables and fruits that, that, that don't exist elsewhere in the world. And so it's uh, a story of our protagonist and it's a kind of a complicated, convoluted thing. Um, but ultimately it's about uh, the Midwest compact uh, and a series of spies and con men uh, trying to work their way back into Thailand uh, so that they can make the kingdom dependent on their goods once again. Hmm. Yeah. Sounds so, like fun. Yeah. So super fun. And, uh, and again, after an oil collapse, so the actual kind of a technological landscape of this thing is, uh, you have genetically engineered mastodons, uh, turning massive wooden spindles that operate, uh, kind of, kind of traditional mechanical machines, um, cause remember no engines, right? And so if you want to store energy, the only way to store energy is with kink springs. And so either, uh, humans with, you know, like on like kind of bicycle devices, they can wind springs up or these big mastodons can, uh, wind a bunch of springs at the same time. And that's hmm. how you store your energy. And so you have a motor scooter with a kink spring in it and that's how you make it go. Um, you know, they're, uh, the, the guns in the story are, uh, have springs inside that you hand crank and they shoot out, you know, kind of razor sharp discs. Right. And anyway, so that like the kind of the, the technology landscape of this is super fun. Um, the kind of like macroeconomic, uh, kind of like black mirror horror story of genetic engineering is also fun. Um, anyway, and it's a like very rich world, very well thought through. Um, I, I loved it. I just, I burned right through it. So wind wow. up girl. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I'll have to yep. check that out. Anyway, I guess we should start the episode now, huh? Yeah, might as well. Might as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so what, what yes, are we talking about be, this? What are we talking about? It'll be 2019. Right. Um, yeah, so let's see. Uh, let's see. We're, we got a lot uh, this week. Uh, we got uh, security awareness meets art. The Supreme Court meets fantasy sports. Uh, your party loyalty meets your credit score. And some Russians meet in San Francisco. Nice. I'm really looking forward to that party loyalty and credit score one. That sounds That sounds juicy. Sounds juicy. Mm-hmm. Um, if folks want a link to uh, more information about uh, Red Hat's response to Spectre and Meltdown, um, or if they want to learn more about that uh, open WRT and lead merger, uh, what website should they go visit? They want to go to dgshow.org. So D's and Dave, G's and Gunner, show.org. Nice. And uh, on the cutting room floor this week, we have some very timely uh, nuclear war survival skills links. Uh, building a, a family fallout shelter. Some instructors are doing that. And then throwing a party inside that shelter. So stocking a fallout shelter party. And uh, and an Arduino in a micro ATX form factor. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nice. Something for everybody. <laughs> Something for everybody. So, and actually, it's a pantry. Stocking the pantry. Oh, I see. I see. Party. Okay, I misread that. I like the party one better. Maybe well, stocking the pantry for your fallout shelter party, I guess. Right. So, uh, Dave, tell me about the uh, Russian consulate in San Francisco. 
Yeah, so this is a very long article, and I know we got a lot to get through, but um, I recommend everybody check this out. It's from uh, Foreign Policy, uh, where uh, you probably saw like months ago about the uh, you know the uh, the uh, Trump administration throwing out the you know closing the San Francisco consulate and and then uh, also the the Russians kicking out diplomats from Russia uh, American diplomats from Russia. This covers the whole backstory behind that, but it's just like a, a fascinating article. I recommend everybody check it out. Um, and to me, it's like I'm reading it. And it just makes me think about uh, being sad about, uh, you know, the Americans, you know, wrapping up the the uh, that uh, entire program. And, you know, this could be the, a spinoff for it where it's like a modern day. Uh, the Americans meet Mr. Robot. Um, the, the plot is right in this article. It's just wonderful. Nice. And so what's this about? Uh, so speaking of spooks, um, so there's a, an art exhibit about eavesdropping. Do I have that right? Yeah, with pagers specifically. So, um, so fun facts about pagers. So you remember pagers, right? You know the the thing that people wear uh, or used to wear, or some do. Um, you know, you get a page and all that. It's not encrypted, uh, and and it's also um, the other fun fact is that a pagers receive all of the messages, but only print out and store the messages that are addressed to it. What could go wrong? <laughs> yes, yes. So there's so the thing is is that there's art exhibit where some guy I guess he he hacked a pager that can receive pages, and then right next to the pager he has like a printer like a thermal printer like it like you have at the like the grocery checkout, and as soon as a page comes in it prints it out to the thermal printer, and and it just goes over and over and over again. And but the the crazy thing is it. It's like hosp- the only people to really use them pagers right now are hospitals um, and it's doctors with and it's patient info that's going across. And so, you know, they reached out to the people that are, uh, you know, to the hospitals to tell them that, hey, this is really going on and you probably shouldn't be doing this. But uh, meanwhile, it's an art exhibit. So you could check it out. And And we're talking about the uh you know with the winding down of the nfl and probably your your fantasy league for the nfl is probably wrapping up you know it's coming to an end right yeah totally shot totally shot mm-hmm. i'm ruined yeah. yeah yeah so you're probably looking for something else to do and now there's uh uh fantasy scotus you could get in on see now i'm listening uh you yeah, have my attention this sounds yeah mm-hmm. this sounds like fun yeah, so there is a fantasy SCOTUS, so the Supreme Court of the United States, you could actually build your own uh, uh, fantasy league where you can compete against uh, other United States citizens for $10,000 cash to win the uh, Golden Gavel uh, Award. So like fantasy league meaning like uh, guessing like if Thurgood Marshall and Sandra Day O'Connor and John Roberts were on the bench, this is how they would vote on thus and such an issue? Uh, no, it's, it's, it's not like it's, it's more about the current and living Supreme Court justices and what decisions they'll make. So think about it as okay. a uh, predictive market that you can get in on and, um, and, and bet on how the decisions are going to swing. Okay. Okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. So you'll like, I, I went, I was poking around and there's like the Harvard law school, uh, people or, you know, they're, they're big players in this and stuff like that. So you can, uh, get in on that. Huh. And so, uh, and so the idea is that if you get enough eyeballs on the problem, 
uh, or on the question, uh, you can accurately predict the outcome of a Supreme Court decision. Is that the yes? Yeah, it's thing? like the the wisdom of the crowd, and you know, a lot of this was done um, with prediction markets a long time ago. Um, it was like uh, I think it was a DARPA project, and or, uh, where you know, with prediction markets, and people could bet on the next terrorist event and everything, but that kind of got defunded because it, it was just seen as unpopular. Um, but there have been a lot of prediction markets that have shown up that, where people can bet. And instead of using like hard currency, um, the, that's moved over to the cryptocurrency world. But this is just for fun. Gotcha. Gotcha. So is there, but, but is there like real money involved? Um, well, $10,000 cash uh, reward. I, I don't know how they get the money for it, but... Um, uh, well, that sounds, yeah, like, that sounds you, like a lot of fun. That sounds like a lot of yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. great. That's great. Um, let's see. So I heard, Dave, that you uh, you got you got another article published. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, so it was finally something that, you know, I just had the inspiration and kicked it out on a Saturday of uh, uh, doing cryptocurrency mining on a Raspberry Pi. Um, and, and whether it's possible, uh, to be profitable or not. So I, I threw a link to the show notes in that. Um, the interesting thing there is that you think that, uh, with cryptocurrencies and mining, it's like, that's not going to be profitable on a Raspberry Pi. You need like all kind of GPUs and electricity and stuff like that. But, um, that assumes that you're using a, uh, proof of work, uh, where, uh, this, uh, other type of cryptocurrency that I was using was based on proof of retrievability. Uh, so think about it as a, uh, a, a peer-to-peer version of Amazon S3, where you get paid to store other people's files. Ah, uh, okay, okay. So instead of you doing like a, a SHA hash, you are proving that you could return this file um, and and give it back to the person that that owns it, and you get paid oh. to like store it and the bandwidth used. Well, that makes uh, that makes perfect sense. That's all. So, so can you actually? So you can actually be profitable, or I don't want to take anything. I don't want to take anything away from the article, but um, yeah, it sounds like no, it's actually I, viable. It, yeah, like the and the article goes into it. It's like I'm not going to get rich or retire. I'm still doing the podcasts. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's but it's it is. Uh, I I am ahead of the game a little bit. Um, and you know, it's like I'm to the point now where it's paid for the raspberry Pi, Um, and it's not using barely any electricity right now. It's like three Watts. That's great. So we could fill your Tesla with a bunch of storage and raspberry Pis, and, and you'll be rich. Well, that's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking. Yep. And you know, a good thing too, cause I've got a, <clears throat> not just, I do have like the cigarette lighter plugin, but it also, they'll furnish you with a uh, two USB drive. So I got, uh, I have many affordances. I'm, I'm, I'm ready uh, to start running some Raspberry Pis. Yeah. So the, the other thing that I saw, and this is, again, again, this is me getting, using pocket a lot more and getting this like long form reading from like uh, New York times and Washington post and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. um, there's uh, a term that has uh, come about called a social credit score. Have you ever heard of that? I have. They're doing this in China, right? Yes. Yes. So um, if you think about it, you have your like in the United States, the in, in other countries, having a credit score 
is something that's been around for a while and it's based on certain, you know, factors of, you know, employment history and all kind of other metrics, you know, how much you make a year, um, previous history with loans and stuff. But in China, they never had such a thing. Um, especially with so many, you know, billions of people in China that are unbanked. And so, you know, they don't have a bank relationship at all. Um, and so, there are uh, companies that are coming together to come up with a credit score, uh, credit scoring to see how credit worthy somebody is. But they're also working in with um, other uh, things in terms of, of not just your ability to pay back the, the loan, but how good you are in society. And we're going to really unpack this. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. Sounds like a, yeah. This is definitely a DG show topic. Yeah. And it sounds like a Black Mirror episode, right? Yeah, 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 that's right. I remember this Black Mirror episode, right? Yeah, uh, season three, episode one called Nosedive, um, where the the lady was going around and, uh, you know, was trying to get more friends and up, update her credit and everything. And she couldn't rent a car because her social credit score was too low and everything. Um, this is going on in China right now. Wow. Yes. It's amazing. So. Yeah, so let's let's unpack this a little bit. So there's Alibaba um, that you know that, uh, that they they have a thing called AliPay uh, that's owned by Ant Financial, which is an affiliate of Alibaba Corporation. And you could think of it as like an uh, a super app where like you open the app up and there's apps inside of it for like Uber, Airbnb, um, and and other things like that. And when you open the app up, it it puts an icon on the screen called your um, Jima credit score. And uh, so Jima is, I guess, Chinese for Sesame. So think about it like Alibaba and open Sesame to open the, the door up to get all kind of riches and all that. Um, oh, sure, yeah. You know, Alibaba and the 40, 40 thieves. Um, so the, so the Jima credit would keep your credit score. Um, so it's the embodiment of, of personal credit and it uses big data conduct, to conduct an objective assessment and the higher the score, the better your credit. And um, what it was doing is it like back in uh, coincidentally in 2014, the Chinese government announced it was developing what it was calling social credit um, where, which was a nationwide tracking system to rate the reputations of individuals, businesses, and even government officials. Uh, and so that way, um, so by like 2020, um, you know, you could uh, have your uh, fingerprints, your biometric uh, characteristics, um, and and a um, like this entire system that is a credit system that covers the whole society. Okay. okay. So. Yeah. So wait, so and, so just yeah. to kind of restate the restate the situation. So you have, so just like in the United States. Uh, you have a credit score developed in the private sector in order to facilitate the uh, the the uh, you know debt instruments, right? You know, because if mm-hmm. you're going to let somebody basically go and hawk to you, you want to make sure that they're credit worthy. And so, naturally, the private sector has come up with a way of ranking people for this. Um, at the same time, the government is creating a social credit system, which does basically the mechanics are the same, but it's for your behavior, like making sure you're basically a good person. And so, right. Especially because it's China, these two things are getting kind of intertwined. Is that, yes. is that, a, am I describing this right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, and, uh, um, according to the article, it said that, you know, for the Chinese communist party, the social credit is an attempt at a softer, uh, more invisible authoritarianism. The goal is to nudge people toward behaviors ranging from energy, uh, conservation to obedience to the party. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, that's insidious. And, yeah. Yeah. It, it gets more fun. It gets more okay. fun. I'm ready. Um, All yeah. Right. So, uh, so Jima Credit, it starts off, um, you, you have the app, your, your credit score goes from 350 to 950 for some reason, and it offers perks and rewards for people with good scores. Um, so, but, so it's not just how well you, um, uh, repay your loans, but also it's based upon what degrees you hold and also the scores of your friends. Because think about it, like all the like social connectivity of like you would connect to people in the, the Alipay app to your friends. And if your friends have good credit, you get good credit. But if they get bad credit or they do bad things, and your credit score goes down, you are adversely impacted as well. Wow. I mean, that, that, that the connection to other people's behavior, I think, is like it's already bad. And then connecting it to other people's behavior makes it just diabolical. Um, yes. You can imagine. Huh. OK, so now what I'm thinking about is, well, the, the if you are if you have a mostly good credit score, you can imagine the behavior. And that's in the behavior you saw in the Black Mirror episode, right, where you like if you're a five star, you're going to hang out with a bunch of other five stars. Right. So that you don't you don't get dinged. Um, mm-hmm. But it goes the other way too, is that if I'm a one star, I'm not like, there's no way I could become a five star because all my friends are one stars. And so, um, and no five imagine, star is going to be your friend. Yeah, exactly. And so you can kind of, you can imagine the society kind of pulling in one direction or the other, like the natural gravity of, of the system would be, uh, basically everybody would get sorted into either fives or ones. Right. Yeah. Uh, like a caste system. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like a caste system, actually. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, um, yeah. And the, the, the company has already cooperated with the Chinese government, um, by integrating a blacklist of more than 6 million people who, who have defaulted on court fines. Um, so that goes into the database as, as a, uh, signal. Um, and let's see, uh, and also the state council has signaled that under the national social credit system, people will be penalized for the crime of spreading online rumors among other offenses that are deemed seriously untrustworthy um, and can expect to receive substandard services. Huh. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so Jima credit will ensure that bad people in society don't have a place to go while good people can move freely without obstruction. (laughs) What I admire about this is that like, they're not sugarcoating this at all. Like it's, like it's sort of right what it says on the tin, you know? Yeah. They didn't even put good people in air quotes or anything like that. Um, yeah. And, and so there is a, the, one of the authors like landed in China and, uh, I guess, I don't know if they're a Chinese expat or, or whatever, but they just never been to China. They just downloaded the app, got it going. And, uh, the default score that this person had was 550. Um, but, and then this person wanted to rent a bicycle for 15 cents, um, but they needed to pay a $30 deposit due to their poor score. And, um, there was another one that it's like, like if you want to rent a car, you have to have a certain score. Um, and, and also like if you have a certain score, like over 750, you could skip security lines at the airport. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. So let me. Let me be a little bit more gracious about this because this sounds dystopian, right? Of course it does. Um, mm-hmm. and, and in particular because, uh, of the, 
uh, kind of permeability of the kind of public and private aspects of this. Um, so that, you know, the government and a private sector actor is, is, uh, is, you know, is involved, but how different is this actually from an American credit score and things like global entry and the rest of it? Right. Um, mm-hmm. cause like I was able to get global entry and I get to go in the cool lane at the airport, but that's only because I had, um, the time and the money to spend on actually getting certified. Right. So is this. This is explicit and which is what makes it creepy. But I guess I have to ask myself, like, is that altogether different than the system we already have in place? Right. Mm-hmm. You're right. And and we also don't know what whether it's a credit score or global entry uses as uh, signals to uh, formulate whatever the uh, trustworthiness score is. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, this is and this makes it explicit um, and transparent. Like I know exactly why I'm being asked to pay a thirty dollar deposit on this bicycle, um, and it's because I have this inferior credit score. Yes, yes, and it's you're not loyal enough to whatever. Um, and it's also you know the you know things like loan terms or apartment rentals or uh, and even on dating apps, um, your score gets factored in. Well, again, like not altogether different than I don't know about the dating apps thing, but. Um, not altogether different than, than what we've got today, right? Like you have to go get a credit check when you go rent an apartment. Um, yep. Huh. Yeah, true. I might be talking myself into this. Okay. Well, let's keep, keep, keep going, keep going. What else do we know about this? Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's pretty much, um, you know, the other thing that, that happened, uh, was, um, there were, I, I guess in China, there's a, a national college entrance examination and there were all kind of cheaters, um, and the general manager for Jima Credit was hoping to get a list of those people um, to factor it into their personal scores. Um, and um, uh, it, in, in one of the things they said was that um, they will check what kind of friends you have. If your friends are all high score people, it's good for you. If you have some bad credit people as friends, it's not nice. Yeah, you can say that again. Now, I, I wonder is... Going back to this, so the Jima credit, though, is coming from just this one company. And I understand this company is like enormous, right? I mean, it's like it's Amazon and PayPal and eBay all kind of rolled into one, right? So it's like a huge online presence, but by no means the only provider of credit, right? So like, is there a world in which I could just like not trade with Alibaba in China and then that would maybe mitigate the effects of this somehow? Like in other words, in other words, I'm not going to pay for my bicycle with Alipay. So, and I'm going to pay with my visa instead or whatever it is. And so, Oh yeah. Get around and get around the system, you know? Yeah. The articles go into this in depth where it's like everybody in China is, they're like leaving their wallets at home and they don't, you know, and it's all about like Alipay. Um, and there's like, uh, I think it's like WeChat and other ones are, have been sanctioned or, um, uh, what do you call it? Basically granted a monopoly by the, the, the government to say that, Hey, for this trial, we're picking these couple companies to do the social credit scoring. So in the same way that we have multiple credit reporting agencies, they will have multiple social credit reporting agencies per se. So, um, you know, it could be that it's like, you may not be able to buy, um, something with your visa, but what you, you could do is go from like, well, I'm not going to use my Alipay. I'm going to use my WeChat. But you would think that the government, uh, you know, w- would it be radically different? Would your credit score at one 
reporting agency be radically different from another. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, and again, like not altogether different, um, not altogether different than what we've got here, where there's like there's a certain number of credit agencies, and through a combination of like regulation and um, like market sorting, um, you've really only got like two or three credit agencies who are going to give you a score, right? Um, yeah. And so it's not like you can shop your uh, it's not like you can shop your trade around. Um, you're always going to run into one of those three credit agencies. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And then also as things become, you know, the government likes this because it becomes more and more cashless, uh, you know, in terms of, of, uh, of a society. So things like black market and, you know, stuff that they, that is harder to control. Um, it's going to be, um, more difficult to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, and it makes me now the, the reason why I'm kind of obsessed now with like comparing it to what we have in our own kind of financial system is, like, what is it that f- completely freaks me out about the Chinese system that I, I'm actually extremely comfortable, more or less comfortable with in the American system? And I guess, like, the big difference is that the government is involved and actually gets to put its thumb on the scale in the form of the yes. social credit ranking, right? Um, right. Yes. Yes. Like, and you can imagine it's like, oh, like on our side, we have like, oh, have you been convicted of crimes or things like that? Like when you fill out a loan application. Uh, so that could be that could be one thing. But it's also like at, at what point along the continuum does it go from being guilty of crimes to like thought crime or, um, yeah. you know, uh, being against a particular political party? Yeah. 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 That's right. That's right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So what else is what else is going on in China? Well, have you ever heard of the term uh, "the masses have sharp eyes"? I haven't, but I feel like I know where this is going. It, well, to me, it's like the first time I heard that, it's like, oh, that sounds like Linus's law, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A thousand eyes make all bugs shallow, right? Right. Yeah. So the masses have sharp eyes. So that's that's a good thing, right? Yeah, this is all cr- like crowdfunding and 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 open source software. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'll sign up for this. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So there is a, a project uh, based on so that that term, the masses have sharp eyes. That was actually a throwback to Mao Zedong's uh, attempt to get every citizen to spy on each other. Oh, right. Yeah. When you're yeah. downloading open source software, you are downloading communism. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's Red Hat. Um, yes. And so. Um, so in China, they have a thing called the Sharp Eyes Project, which is based on, you know, the masses have sharp eyes, which is uh, intended to uh, connect the security cameras that already scan roads, shopping malls, transport hubs with private cameras um, and aggregate them all together into one nationwide surveillance and data sharing platform. Um, it'll use facial recognition and artificial intelligence to understand um, the, the video, uh, track and spot uh, subjects and even predict crime, um, and also coordinate with emergency services and um, uh, monitor the country's 1.4 billion people. So, you know, what's surprising about this is the fact that this is new stuff for them. Like, I think everybody assumes that this is already in place, right? In the same way that like people watch a Jason Bourne movie and they feel like, well, yeah, of course they've already got that technology, right? It's, yeah, some some drone is flying around watching somebody and all that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is like a tacit admission. They're like, no, we actually we're not that smart yet. 
Like we're trying to yeah. be that smart, but like not, we're not we're not quite there yet. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's the thing. It's like uh, I guess the other thing in China is the like whether it's banks, hotels, airports. You know, you go to check into your hotel, you use facial recognition to get in your room, um, and so it's really getting the people used to um, using your face as as a biometric and all that. And um, but they're they're uh, um, you know, and, and people are really into it in terms of like, oh, I could leave my wallet at home. Uh, I could I don't need to carry around my credit cards and everything or identification. I could just use what's on me. Um, and uh, uh, but the government is very enthusiastic about this type of technology uh, to be well, able sure. to uh, help yeah. with uh, crime fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, that's like a, that's like a legit minority report outcome, right? Yes. Yes. And and the goal is when you look at this uh, particular article, it talks about how um, it, it works it into the uh, credit rating, uh, social credit rating platform, too. Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Why not? You got yeah. to close the loop. Right. Yeah. Um, I would someone in some basement in Virginia somewhere is doing the math right now on exactly how much storage this would require. Right. Mm -hmm. um, like. Is there even enough? You think about like 1.4 billion people moving around the country, you know, X number of cameras, X number of, you know, microphones or whatever, um, slurping up all of that data and storing it in a meaningful way so that it could be like mined in the way that they're talking about. That seems like as a former enterprise software sales guy, I'm smelling an enormous storage opportunity here. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it could be too, like how much of it do you, maybe you keep some of it for a while, but after a while you could, all you have to do is just keep the, uh, like you recognize somebody and then you could just like timestamp it with that person's ID instead of storing the video. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Well, actually, well, that brings a whole bunch of second order problems, right? Because what if you misidentify somebody and what if you've systematically misidentified someone for years um, and now they're being implicated in a crime and there's no way to, to uh, there's no way to prove that the system had misidentified you. Right. Yes. Well, what, for, but for, the for thing that, that a, it talks about, the idea, by the way, that's a, that's a, free yeah, idea. yeah. We're, we're full of these and this, <laughs> yeah, we, we need to move to Hollywood. Um, but yeah, I, I'm sure there's some, some openings there. Um, but they have. But the thing is, is that if you merge it in with the the social um, score, that the credit score, is that you could say that no, it is this person because they were riding in an Uber and they paid with Alipay, and then they went to you know, and so and they had their phone and it had this GPS, and uh, you know, the, you know, so it's it's more than just the video; it's the correlation with the behavior as well. Right. Right. Wow. It's, I mean, that's incredibly ambitious. That's incredibly ambitious. Yes. Although, although in order to make it work, I've been thinking a lot about this. In order to make this work, this requires a level of, this requires a level of competence that we don't usually expect from a government. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Like to, to pull this off at this scale um, and have it be like usefully efficient. Um, it just seems like I can't imagine anyone in the private sector pulling off something like this, let alone, you know, against a 1.4 billion people. Um, yeah. That's amazing. Well, that's like the article was saying is that there are a lot of um, like Chinese nationals that are coming, like they went to the United States, they get their PhD in computer science. They worked at Facebook, they worked at Google and here's an opportunity to do cool stuff um, at home and get paid reasonably well. Well, sure. 
Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. That's right. Um, and especially, I guess, it becomes a much easier problem if you're kind of like, let's say, ethically unencumbered. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> like, if you have to do this under like an EU privacy directive, kind of a different scene in China. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's like that's the reciprocal of this. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, hey, I wonder if it's a I wonder if privacy is a sum zero thing. Like, I wonder if, if EU is hogging all the privacy and they're taking the privacy away from China. <laughs> right. They're, they're in the EU. They're giving it all uh, away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or, yeah, or, right. uh, yeah. They're keeping it all themselves. Yeah. Alex, second law of privacy is that privacy is conserved uh, in all transactions. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, well, Dave, I need to get back to uh, building my bunker. Um, yes. Yes. You want to? You want to? Yes. You want to call yeah. this a full lid here? Yeah. Yeah. Sleep tight, everybody. Um, yeah, <laughs> just, seriously, check the articles out. I thought they were they were pretty good. Uh, they were pretty fascinating. So if uh, if uh, Dave, if uh, folks want to uh, read up more about this and uh, and catch uh, some of the other articles we've covered today in uh, Panopticon Weekly, uh, what website should they go visit? <laughs> yeah, they want to go to dgshow.org. So D's and Dave, G's and Gunner Show.org. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, everyone. Yep. Thanks, everybody. Bye.